Good morning, Canoe Creek. This is what we call a milestone Sunday. This is a Sunday where we're going to celebrate our graduates that you see right here on the front row. That means so much to me. We want to welcome you in if you're watching online as we celebrate our seniors this morning. Just as we get started, I wanted to do something just to kind of break the tension a little bit, uh, kind of pull back the curtain and and let you know a little bit about who I am. Because there's some of you in here that know who I am and know me pretty well, and then there's some that, that may not. And those who know me are a little bit nervous that I just said I was going to pull back the curtain and let you into who I am. But that's okay. I got permission from my wife to share this, so we're good. Check that box, right? So I want to tell you a, a sin that's in my life, it's in my heart, it's something that I'm not proud of. It's a little bit hard to say. I'm a little vulnerable, so, so please just bear with me. I have not found a bowl of ice cream that I can say no to. It's just, it's National Ice Cream Day, and I thought we were just going to get that out of, rip that Band-Aid. I love ice cream. I love it so much that, that there's a fruit of the Spirit. It's called self-control. I don't have that when it comes to ice cream. Uh, my wife knows this, so when she goes to the grocery store, she, she very rarely will bring back ice cream. But when she does, she blesses my heart with that sweet golden top of goodness. You know it. Bluebell, Right? She knows my flavors. She knows it's either French vanilla, Dutch chocolate, or cookies and cream. One of those three. And see, now you know that. And so next Sunday, when I'm standing there welcoming you, if you want to bring some ice cream, we've got freezers here. I'm good to to put it back there for you. So that's cool if you want to bless me that way. But I love ice cream. In fact, I love it so much that it comes from my dad. My dad was a huge ice cream uh, guy. He has his own homemade ice cream machine that he always would make homemade ice cream with. And I can think back to when we were going on vacation when I was younger. We would go down to the beach because I didn't live at the beach. And so we would have to pack the van. And so we come time to put the ice cream machine in the, in the van and my sister and I would just kind of kind of cringe a little bit because if it didn't fit, that means that one of our luggage wasn't going to the beach. And so we would get in there and we would shove things to the, all the way to the side so we could get that in there just so we could get our swimsuits down there as well. We loved ice cream. And I can think of, I'm 39, and so I can probably remember 34, call it 35 years of my life. And I can't think of a single time in my life where we've gotten our extended family together, aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody together, where we didn't have homemade ice cream. And I did some research, and I came up with a picture that just means a lot to me, and it's going to be on the screen. This is a picture of my son when he was about three years old, uh, myself, my dad, and my granddad all covered, uh, huddled around my granddad's antique hand crank ice cream machine. You can see JD's trying to help me crank it a little bit, That didn't last long, I promise you, because we had to crank it for about 30 minutes to get it to work. But the reason that I love this picture is because it's four generations of my family all gathered around something that's traditional in our family, that we love, that's rooted down in who we are. It's four generations of good-looking men, right? Yes, that's right. But I love ice cream. Why am I telling you about ice cream? Because I want to get you to a place today where you're thinking about traditions that you have in your own home, in your own family, traditions that came down from your grandparents or parents, or maybe you as parents are now creating those same traditions or new traditions with your family. 
with your, your children because we all have traditions that are rooted in who we are. But the thing I love about that picture is not just that the, these two men were instrumental in helping me and my son develop a love for ice cream and even a love for baseball and, and other things, but they were instrumental in helping me establish the roots of my faith. They were the positive voices among a myriad of other people who were speaking life into me and helping me understand my faith in Jesus. As many voices that I have in my mind of the positive that I've also had can name many negative voices. They were pulling me in directions that were contrary to what God's word wanted for me and were not in line with what I knew to be right in scripture. And so my parents and my grandparents were instrumental in helping me establish my faith so that when I had my own grip of my own faith, because that's the, that's the vision that we have for our family ministry is they start in children's ministry and they get taught lessons and they get taught the, how much God loves them and they move to middle school and they start to unpack those and see how those relate to their lives. And to when they move into high school and they start to actually implement those in their lives and they start to investigate to where they begin to own their own faith so that when they get to this day, Graduation Sunday, they graduate with a firm grip on who they are in Christ. Because our faith is the only defense that we have against the negative voices that pop up in our life. Our faith is the only defense that we have against the negative voices that are going to pop up in our life. So I want to ask you a question. The whole sermon kind of revolves around this one question is, what are you rooted in? Because what we're rooted in ultimately drives how we are and how we act with other people. What are you rooted in? And you can look throughout the entire Bible from Genesis all the way to end of the Revelations, and it's there. And so when I began to see that this is where God wanted us to land, I began to ask myself, okay, God, where do you want us to land? What book of the Bible? And the book of the Bible that I really feel like really sums up a lot of the gospel and really comes in a simplistic way for us to really kind of wrap our heads around is the book of Colossians. So I'm gonna invite you to, to jump on the Bible app. Our sermon notes are there and you can track right along or if you've got your own Bible or there's one right there in the, in the chair in front of you. But we're gonna be in Colossians chapter two just as we get started this morning. What I want to do is set the scene for you because I believe context is key. Understanding what the writer is saying and who the writer is saying it to is very important to understanding what God's trying to say to us today. Because in this book, Paul, the Apostle Paul is the one that wrote it, and he's writing to a young church. He's writing to a church that's just really getting off the ground with their faith. It's just really starting to understand who they are in Christ and they're also coming up against a world that has philosophies and has ideas and has hatred and has injustice that is contrary to God's word. That sounds pretty familiar, right? Because here in 2020, Paul's letter is so applicable because now we are facing hatred, we're facing injustice, we're facing things that are in complete opposite direction of what God's word has called us to be. And I believe that Paul's got a message for us. So join with me right here. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 6. You ready? Here we go. And now, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I love what Paul says right here, because just in two simple verses, he really starts to unpack some encouragement, 
and some reminders and some truth for this young church. He says, you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord. Remember that church is what he's saying. And what he's ultimately telling them is, remember you gave up your sins. You put your sins at the foot of the cross and you ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And just in case they forgot what that meant, a little bit further down in verse 13 of chapter two, this is what Paul says to him. He says, you were dead, meaning you were separated and cut off because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. What Paul is saying is you remember back to when Genesis happened and God made everything and it was beautiful and we walked with man, but then all of a sudden Adam and Eve made a decision that was contrary to what God had told them. God said, don't do this or surely you will die. And they're like, we got this. That's not gonna happen. They were tricked by the, by the enemy and sin entered the world and now man and God were separated because remember God's glory cannot tolerate sin. God's glory can't be around sin. And so God and man were separated. We were dead. We were cut off. The wages of sin were death. But praise God, we have a God that loves us and cares for us so much that he sent his son to die. And Paul's reminding them of that sacrifice. He's reminding them of their situation, that they were dead and cut off, away from life. But because of Jesus, and his forgiveness of their sins, now they become alive in Christ. And Paul goes on after he reminds them of who they are, that they are believers, that they are bought in and they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord. He goes on and says, now you must continue to follow him. And I love to ask questions when I read God's word and I love to, to dive in and really hear what God's trying to say. And so when I see the phrase, continue to follow him, I ask myself this question, what am I supposed to continue in for? Why should I continue? And Paul is, he's writing to a young church, remember? He's also writing to a simple-minded preacher named Todd that needs to tell and communicate what he's saying. And this is what he says. He says, jump down, Todd. Jump down to, to chapter three, verse one of Colossians, and I'll tell you what you continue for. He says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at the right hand of God. Paul simply says, you want to know what you're continuing to follow him for? Why you're continuing to try to look like him? You're doing it for the realities of heaven. You're doing it for the glory of heaven that is promised to us by Jesus. Because he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm faithful to come back and to take you with me. But you must continue to follow him, continue to look like him, Continue to strive to be like Jesus. So I come back to our question, what are we rooted in? So Paul answered me. He told me what we needed to continue for. Now he's going to tell me why when we look down at Colossians 4, chapter, verse 13. He says, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, I love this line, remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. So why does Paul say we need to continue to follow him? Because the world is a nasty place. The world offers us nothing but offenses, suffering, and hatred. They dress it up to look real pretty. They put makeup on it and make it look attractive and alluring. But when you strip it all away, 
It's offensive, causes suffering, causes hurt. But God, through Jesus, offers us love, grace, and forgiveness. And he says, now what you need to do, you need to go and you need to show love through grace. Show love through forgiveness. Show love through how you act, how you're rooted in who I am. So they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord. Now their goal and their, their job, their task, if you will, is to continue to follow him. And, Jesus, and Paul goes on and he says, let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong. I had a preacher friend of mine a few weeks back with our high school retreat say something so simplistic, but yet so profound. He said, Jesus didn't come to remodel your home or remodel your existence. He came to tear it down and build something new on the foundation of the cross of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be rooted in who we are, in him, in his word. When I began to think about that idea and the imagery that Paul uses right there, I thought about a tree system that I know of called the Aspen tree system. It's a beautiful tree. It's a really tall, ginormous tree, has beautiful leaves, Amazing, like whitish gray bark. It during different seasons it changes colors. I know y'all don't know what seasons are, but it's winter, spring, summer, fall. Those things, uh, spring. That's when it changes its leaves, and it's it's really magnificent to look at. It's it's incredibly tall, but that only that's only half the story. The beauty of the story is beneath the surface, is the root system of this tree. The picture behind me is the Quaker, not Quaker, quaking oak aspen. And it spans over 107 acres, 47,000 different trees on this one root system. Because what the root system does, it doesn't go extremely deep, but it goes extremely linear. And the different trees will pop up from the one parent root system. And they find strength in in each tree clustered together, holding tight and the strength of the root system. What are we rooted in? When we root ourselves in God's word, when we connect with God through, through his word and what he's teaching us, not only do we find connection there, we find connection to the church. So that when the wind comes, when the rains pour, when darkness comes on us, we've got somebody to help hold us strong in our faith in Jesus and our faith in the church. When I begin to think about the culture that we live in and the protests that are going on and the opinions that are offered both asked for and not and all of the hatred and all the injustice and all the racism that's in our current climate right now, as I begin to, to look at different things on the internet and through social media and I see these signs and these, uh, all of these different things, well, there was one sign that really stuck out to me. And it really landed well with me. And I had one of our middle school girls draw this up for us because you don't want me to draw it. And uh, so Tracy's going to bring this out for me. And this sign is simplistic in nature, but it's profound in what it says. And it really landed with me, and I think it ties in well with our message. This sign is simple. It's it's simply going to say, until you fix it here, address it here, nothing will change here. Talking about when we fix it in our heart, address it in our home, nothing's going to change in the world. I've got a lot of deep roots, both biblical and non-biblical in my life. 
some of the things in my life and some of the positive influences in my life have also, unfortunately, at times been the negative influences in my life because we're all human, we're all sinful, we all make mistakes. And so at some point in my life, I had to evaluate, much like these seniors are having to do to own their own faith and had to evaluate what needs to be my roots, what are my parents' roots, and what needs to be cut away completely. And I began to look at things and began to see that there was a lot of hatred in my life and there was a lot of uh, injustice in my life and there was ultimately a lot of racism in the people and the life around me. So much so that I was being kind of drawn down that path until my youth pastor pulled me aside and he introduced me to a scripture in Matthew 22 that stuck with me for 20 years now. In fact, it's a theme that we had this year with our students. It's when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he simply responds with two sentences. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you need to love God and you need to love people. And when I began to let that kind of sit with me and kind of take that in, and then I compared that, that phrase that loving God means loving people the way that God loves me, then, then the hatred and the injustice and the roots of racism that were beginning to take hold in my life had to be cut away. What are we rooted in? I tell you that story because I was 18 or 19 when this happened, and that was 20 years ago. We fast forward to 2020, and we have what we have in our current culture, and I'm watching TV, I'm watching SportsCenter, and my son's sitting next to me. He's eight years old. He's about to be nine. And they're using words like intolerance, injustice, racism, a lot of anger and hate being spewed out of our TV. And my son starts asking me questions. He says, Daddy, what's injustice? What's intolerance? What's racism? What's a black person? Did you catch that? My son is asking the same questions at nine years old that I was asking at 19. How fast is our world decaying around us that he's asking questions I was asking as a 19-year-old and could actually differentiate what's going on. So I began to explain to, to my son what those things meant and what those things meant in the light of God's word. Because remember, God did a work in my heart. He changed my heart. He started to, to fix me and to make me into, into what he wanted me to do so that I could address it in my home so that maybe my children can be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. So I began to show him in God's word how we're all created equal, how we're all created in God's image. And it didn't matter the color of our skin. And he just simply looked at me and said, Daddy, but they're all my friends. I want my eight-year-old little boy's heart for people. I want to look at humanity say, they're all my brothers and sisters in Christ. They're all my friends. What are we rooted in? Is the gospel driving how we treat people? Is it driving how we respond on social media to things? Is it, is it driving our very existence? Or are we letting culture drive our very existence? See, change happens. We're called to be radically different than this world. When we think about the roots of faith, we're called to live radically different than the world around us. 
The world's offering us suffering. It's offering us contentment. It's offering us hate. It's offering us all of these offenses. But God's saying we should be offering love and grace and forgiveness to those who offend us, to those who don't think like us or look like us or suffering because of others like us. Change is inevitable. When faith is rooted in the gospel, it changes the very nature of our hearts. Let's take our our milestone events that we celebrate here at Canoe Creek. We celebrate baby dedication when a child is born. We celebrate graduation Sunday, which is what we're doing right now. Many of you know these seniors well. You maybe, maybe even held them in the nursery. What if they had never changed? It'd be a little awkward. How have you changed in the last 10 years, 10 months, 10 weeks, 10 days, 10 minutes? How are you going to let the gospel message change your heart in the next 10 minutes, 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months, 10 years? Change is inevitable. And when we root our faith in the gospel, it changes the very nature of our heart to where we have to do an evaluation of our deep roots and say, what needs to go? Because it's not in line with God's word. I had to make tough choices in my life and I had to cut away some of the things that had been implanted in me. I kept, on, I kept my ice cream love though. There's things that are good, but there's also things that are not in God's word that we need to make sure that we cut those out of our lives so that we're driving our life in the right direction based off of what God wants for us. What are we rooted in. Let's pray. Father God, we just, we come to you right now, God, and we just ask. God, I ask for you to soften hearts, open minds. God, break spirits if need be. God, I pray that you would just, God, you would be with us as we continue to wrestle with uh, the deep roots that we create in our life. God, the good ones, the ones that need to be cut away, the ones that don't line up with Scripture, God, we pray, God, that you would ultimately find so much joy in watching us love God the way that we're designed to and love people the way you've designed us to as well. God, we pray for these seniors, God, just that you would continue to pour into them, God, you would continue to establish your roots in them so that they can walk away from their high school years into the next phase of their life with a firm grip on who they are in you with a deeply rooted faith in your word. In your holy name we pray.